Piper malware infects computers in Ukraine, but are they criminal in nature? And the illicit cryptocurrency trends to know about now. These stories and more on this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. Microsoft on Saturday warned that it had discovered wiper malware infecting computers in Ukraine. The infections appear to have occurred last week, at about the same time some government websites in Ukraine got defaced. Joining me to discuss is Matthew Schwartz, executive editor of Data Breach Today in Europe. Matt, do we know who launched this wiper malware? So Russia would be the obvious suspect. It happens to be the country that's massing 100,000 troops on the border with Ukraine. And it's certainly been seen to be using wiper malware in the past. Now, it's notable that we have not seen any attribution thus far of this attack. And that could be because this is a complicated geopolitical situation. It could also be that the attribution hasn't yet been ascertained. The Ukrainian government has said that it's got intelligence including technical intelligence, but also, I think, human intelligence, tied to the defacements of about a dozen websites last week, as well as the wiper malware attacks, which, as you say, came to light Saturday. Microsoft published a blog post warning about them. The U.S. picked this up, said all network defenders should be looking at these indicators of compromise. Microsoft now has updated its endpoint antivirus signatures to make sure that it can block it. That's the good news. Uh, the bad news, of course, is there's a still unfolding situation in Ukraine. We've got, again, Russian troops on the border. The White House is warning of disinformation campaigns, potential sabotage, and cyber is also part of this. We've seen an increase in cyber attacks and the defacements appear to have been timed with the infections and thus might be part of Russia's spectrum approach that we're seeing here to trying to destabilize things, possibly on the eve of an invasion. Is there any proof tying this to Russia? Not yet. The technical teardowns that we've seen are inconclusive. So there's three components that were part of this wiper attack. One was a malicious bootloader, which would corrupt the infected local disks. So this is called Whispergate. That's Microsoft's word for it. And again, this is now blocked by antivirus. The attack also included a second stage, which used Discord to uh, get a downloader that would bring in a file wiper, which would wipe all the files in the system. So you had this master boot record overwriter, which was one part of the attack, which would render the hard drive corrupted. And then you also had a file wiper. And so it looked like ransomware. There was a ransom note that would appear after the system had rebooted, but actually at the point where it was already unrecoverable. And the ransomware note said, send us $10,000 and you can recover your system. But as a lot of cybersecurity experts have noted now, it's really unusual to see a ransom note like this. And every indication is that it was bogus. For example, there was only a single Bitcoin address, whereas usually there would be a unique Bitcoin address tailored to every victim. Usually the ransomware would also be somewhat tailored to the victim. And there was a really unusual way to supposedly contact the attackers. So it all looks like ransomware, not really actually wiper, destructive malware. 
And in a technical teardown published by CrowdStrike, it did note that this looked like kind of a, a rough and ready sort of attack. It wasn't very technically sophisticated and it didn't see any technical ties to previously seen wiper attacks. So what's the likelihood that this is criminal in nature? Based on what we've seen in the past, it seems really unlikely to me that this is criminal in nature. Past wiper attacks have pretty much always been attributed to a nation state or a group that has some sort of affiliation with the nation state. For example, there is the Shamoon wiper malware that we saw get used against Saudi Aramco in Saudi Arabia in 2012. This looked like it was an attack launched by Iran. Sony Pictures got hit with an attack where data was stolen and dumped, and then their systems were wiped in 2014. And this attack was attributed by the US to North Korea. Again, we think we see North Korea behind WannaCry in 2017, which looked like ransomware. And I think there's still a question about whether it was meant to be ransomware and accidentally got issued too early. But the end result was that it didn't have a way to get decrypted. And so it functioned as wiper malware. It would encrypt systems and there was no way to decrypt them. Same again with NotPetya later in 2017. It was masquerading as ransomware, but actually it was destroying the underlying systems. And that attack was attributed by the CIA to Russia. Hence, Russia is a big suspect in this Whispergate malware that we've seen. So this isn't an exhaustive list of wiper malware. And security experts have been warning for a long time that destructive attacks could become more common, possibly being wielded by extortionists, criminal gangs. But as far as I'm aware, pretty much every wiper attack we've seen to date traces to a nation state, and thus Russia remains suspect number one for this destructive malware attack on Ukrainian systems. Now, as cybersecurity reporter Kim Zetter has reported, one interesting thing about all this is it only looks like some dozens of systems in Ukraine actually got wiped. The government won't say which government agencies were affected. It says they're important, but not the most important. So not the Ministry of Defense, for example, we don't think. So what happened? Was this just meant to cause some noise and a bit of chaos? Or did something go wrong and what should have infected thousands or tens of thousands of systems failed to function as anticipated? We just don't know. This is one of the open questions about all this. And hopefully as the analysis of these attacks continues, more of this information will get entered into the public domain. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. On May 12th of last year, U.S. President Joe Biden issued an executive order on cybersecurity seeking to improve the state of national cybersecurity in the U.S. and to increase protection of government networks. So what progress has been made toward meeting some of the key standards set out in the executive order for zero trust security, supply chain security and the software bill of materials? Well, this was a question posed by our VP of Editorial, Tom Field, to Carol House, Director of Cybersecurity and Secure Digital Innovation for the National Security Council at the White House. You can watch the full interview at ISNG's upcoming virtual financial services summit on January 25th and 26th. 
So we've seen a lot of really great successes actually to date. Last year was full of a ton of progress. We saw NIST release several documents related to critical software and supply chain security. We saw a definition of critical software released, guidance outlining security measures for critical software, as well as recommended minimum standards for vendor or developer verification of software released. This really underscores the importance of that public-private partnership that I emphasized previously. We know that we need private sector input and buy-in to really make this work. On the zero trust strategy. In September, the Office of Management and Budget released a draft federal strategy to move the U.S. government towards that zero trust architecture. I mean, all of that paired with CISA's release of their cloud security technical reference architecture and zero trust maturity model will help guide and assist agencies in their implementation planning. So I'm very excited about the zero trust strategy. Um, and a lot of the, the key pillars really point to some of the priority efforts that I have the privilege of working on, like identity. Identity was the first pillar in the draft zero trust strategy. So really excited about all of that um, and the message that we're clearly sending to agencies that we can't necessarily trust what is inside of our perimeter. And zero trust is really the way of the future for cybersecurity. For SBOM in July, we also saw NTIA publish minimum requirements for a software bill of materials. And I think that Log4j has really highlighted how important a software bill of materials can be to drive security and to help security operators really understand where their vulnerabilities are. And finally, also speaking in conversation with Tom Field at the Financial Services Summit is Anna-Lou Tirol, Deputy Director of the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, or FinCEN, which is a bureau of the United States Department of the Treasury that collects and analyzes information about financial transactions in order to combat domestic and international money laundering, terrorist financing, and other financial crimes. Here's an excerpt from their conversation on the financial crime trends that are of most concern to Tyrol right now. I think it's probably no surprise to hear that there is some increased use of anonymity-enhanced cryptocurrencies. I would say based on the reporting that we've received, the vast majority of payments are still being uh, demanded in Bitcoin, but we're seeing some use of Monero. And we're seeing some increase in the use of these. And the very nature of these AECs, if you will, is, is very concerning to us. And then when you couple that with an increase in a use of mixers, right? So online mixing services that will kind of help break that connection between the original sender and the recipient and then commingle the, the CVC, the convertible virtual currency with other users' CVC and then splitting that up. That is also of concern to us. And there is an increase in that use. And wow, what a really effective way, right, to launder these proceeds is to, you know, take them in, break them up and disguise, you know, their true nature and keep them moving that way. And then I would say one other step in the chain that we identify as, as part of this typology is ultimate cashing out um, through foreign exchanges. And so at some point, criminals have to get their money. At some point, you know, they're going to want some way to, to use and negotiate those funds. And so we are seeing some cashing out in jurisdictions that have very little to no regulatory oversight, high-risk jurisdictions, jurisdictions that don't share information. So with those who might have the ability to take action, you know, such as us or, or others that we work with. And so we're seeing that as well. That's it from the ISMG Security Report. The music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time. Mm-hmm.